This is the John Oakley Show podcast. A sentencing hearing, you know, it's interesting because we're talking about all this gun and gun violence and gun crime that took place over the weekend. And uh, we certainly have plenty of it in our own city and it's been going on for a long time. And one of those cases involves the Eaton Center shooting. That was a uh, shooting that, um, hard to believe, it's been going through the courts since 2012. This is the case involving Christopher Husbands. This is a guy that who waltzed into the Eaton Center food fair and blasted off his gun, killing two and injuring six. And so there were an awful lot of people affected by this killing, including Connor Stevenson. He was just a boy at the time. He's much older now, but he was a boy, and he was uh, hit by the aftermath in the head. And here's how he goes through his days. I have to live every day, you know, just kind of making sure that I don't get hit in the head. I mean, I, I fell down the, uh, I fell just down one stair and um, hit my chin and completely knocked myself out, out and lost an entire day. Had to be rushed to the hospital. So it's just, you have to live just slightly cautious now. Yeah, he was 13 when that happened. 13 years old, he was shot in the head and he survived. But there were six others also shot a pregnant woman, trampled. And so these people went in front of uh, Mr. Mr. Husbands today and in front of the judge and um, delivered their victim impact statements. And here's the father of Connor Stevenson. This is uh, Craig Stevenson uh, of why it was so important for him to, to talk. The point was really to tell a story and help the um, judge, also the uh, criminal, know who Connor was, who he was back in 2011, and who he became after the shooting. Right. So here's the, um, this is a bit of a complicated case, because Christopher Husbands was convicted, um, initially he was convicted of two counts of uh, second-degree murder, and he got uh, a sentence of 30-plus years, so he was given a life sentence, eligibility of parole in 30 years, if I got that right. But he appealed that sentence. And because he claimed he had suffered PTSD because he had seen, um, you know, a gangbanger or someone that was uh, after him, that's what caused it. And so they gave him another trial, believe it or not. And he was convicted of manslaughter. And so the sentencing phase of that starts, you know, now we're into the sentencing phase. And so he's already served seven years in jail. Hard to imagine he'll actually serve much more. But again, this is a guy who walked into the Eaton Center, broad daylight, and started shooting people. Two dead, six injured, including a 13-year-old boy, now grown, but living with, uh, with what he went through. Let's bring uh, Joe Newberger into this, um, into this conversation. I've got a couple of headlines for you, Joe. Good to have you. My pleasure. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, nice to be in on Mr. Oakley's shift. I finally get to chat with you. So, and be a little bit earlier in the day. And be a little earlier in the day, <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I've been following this. I mean, this case was in court when I was a court reporter for um, Global News. And so this thing has been working its way through the courts for a long, long time. But he was initially charged uh, with second degree, uh, convicted of second-degree murder after being charged with first-degree murder. That got appealed, and now he's... Uh, you know, convicted on manslaughter and looking at a sentence of what? It could be as it could be up to life imprisonment. Um, so, just so everybody understands, the defense was premised on post-traumatic stress disorder, which caused him to react in a way uh, that is associated with a, a disorder which is diagnosed under the mental health um, 
legislation which is out there, so the DSM-5. That doesn't necessarily mean that his sentence will be significantly less given the gravity of what's occurred. So we have to really see how this will play out with the sentencing. But you're right, he served seven years. If he gets a life sentence, he may be eligible for parole uh, fairly soon, but that's not a, a fait accompli yet. No, but I think, uh, you know me, Joe. I'm yeah. roll, I'm rolling my eyes along with probably every <laughs> most of my oh, most of the listeners saying mm-hmm, PTSD he had really I mean honestly the fact that this gangbanger is like claiming PTSD to get a new trial to me is just it, it, it's why I think a lot of people are so cynical to the system. I hear you. Far, you know, far be it for me to be the cynic. I, I hear you, but there was legitimate you know psychiatric evidence presented, and as a result of I mean you know if you consider. There's a lot wrapped up into this as well, because we've we've got the Court of Appeal looking at special sentencing rules for those who are from the black community with respect to historic and systemic marginalization and discrimination. You roll that into people who are maybe, you know, they have no choice, but they wind up into dru- uh, drug and gang activity. They're subjected to shootings, which this individual was. Uh, he comes upon individuals who have been involved in in. Uh, shootings of him prior. He reacts as a result of the post-traumatic stress disorder. However, it's acquired and that conviction is reduced in essence uh, on the retrial from a second-degree murder to a manslaughter. If there's legitimate psychiatric evidence about it, he's truly suffering from it. We've got to recognize that within the law. But then the penalty phase is the bigger issue. How does this translate into sentencing? Given the gravity of what has happened as a result of it, you know, his sentence can be quite high. Uh, and he may not get parole for many, many years, even though he's only served seven years right now. So I think we have to look at this more on the sentencing side. And once this is done, this will be appealed to the Court of Appeal again to see if the verdict was reasonable in the circumstances, given the evidence. So this is not the end of the story. We may see another two, three years play out on this until we hear from the Court of Appeal. Yeah, this is one of those cases that seems to be... um... Uh, you know, it's taking us into a gray area because it shouldn't be taking this long to get through the courts. Having said that, I don't think anyone was expecting the PTSD, uh, uh, you know, defense and the appeal thing. But you're right. It will go back in front of the appeal, which, again, all we're doing is dragging those who are on the other side of this through the courts again and again and again. And so I think a lot of people look at this and say, how is this fair? He has served seven years. He will be credited with that. So, I mean, when you say he could get the same what, 30-year sentence? I just don't see it. I just no, don't, I don't see it. I don't see that. I don't see that either, but it's going to be an enhanced sentence because you've got two deaths plus yeah. this exceptionally serious in this injury to this young, innocent man at the time, young boy, and it's quite the tragedy. And that's still a very significant issue on sentencing. So, you know, he may get 20 years, may get 18 years, may get 25 years. Parole eligibility could be capped at a certain amount. And Let's say, for for example, he gets 25 years. He still has to apply for parole, has to apply before the parole board, and they're the ones who will make the decision about parole. So he may not receive parole at seven years, eight years, nine years, or even 10 years. And even though this is playing through the system over the course of several years, and it is challenging to the families of the victims in this case, let the system play out because it's important that the process unfolds as it will properly It's very good that we do not have the system we have in the United States. There's lots of good reason to be very thankful that we have our Canadian system. But even though this is difficult for the families, he's in jail. It's not like he's wandering the streets 
or he's out enjoying liberty, not, he's yeah. in jail. Well, he's and not he, at KMH, so you're right. Uh, sorry? He's not at KMH, so yeah, no, he's, he's still where no, he needs I to be. I hear you, yeah. but you know, that's a whole different yeah. thing, you know, and um, so he is serving serious time and may continue and will continue to service, you know, serious time in jail. Well, we'll wait and see. Um, it seemed to have gone longer, as court often does. Uh, we haven't gotten the actual sentencing yet, so we'll probably get that another day. I do want to bounce this off because I'm going to be talking to uh, the young woman, Melanie Fraser, in just a few minutes. But I wanted to get your thoughts. I actually thought of you right away when <laughs> uh, when I heard about this Calgary man uh, convicted of sex assault, given this very unusual sentence. And, and it came along with probation and community service. But he had to make a public apology on social media. Ultimately, the judge said, OK, we can't do it like that because of the settings and, and technical things. But I, I think as a lawyer, I, I am bothered by this. Would you think that this is yeah. a bit of a uh, appeal waiting to happen? Yeah, I, it's it's a very bad form of sentencing. And I think both sides on the argument on this case, I mean, this individual pled guilty, accepted responsibility. The act is, is quite difficult for the uh, victim of this offense. But, you know, public shaming never works. And unless this is carefully worded, uh, on social media, I mean, it can really cause quite havoc for the victim because it just plays out in social media. It doesn't end. So mm-hmm. I, I really have great difficulty uh, with this type of a sentence. Meet out an appropriate sentence with uh, with proper uh, punitive elements and then rehabilitative elements. But to do this on social media is just really ill thought out because there is a component that will re-victimize the, the victim in this case because she doesn't need to see this on social media. Well, it also makes yeah. her a target, but it also makes him a target. So if, if oh. and I think, so this to me is like an automatic appeal. Like it can't stand. No, I, I think it's an awful decision. And I think I could see, you know, groups that advocate on behalf of victims and those on behalf of accused individuals and who's an offender now, both would be opposed. There, there, there are healthier, more poignant ways to deal with this. This is not one of them. Yeah, well, sure, uh, sure is an interesting um, case to be looked at. And uh, we'll be talking to the young woman next. All right, Joe, I'll talk to you again and um, enjoy these uh, daylight chats that we get. I look forward to it. Take care. Have a great show. You too. Thanks, Joe. Take care. And the uh, sentencing for uh, Mr. Husbands, just seeing it on the news, will uh, happen, I think, later this week, probably in the next day or two. So we'll keep our eye on that. And we will speak with the young woman. Uh, Melanie will join us next uh, to talk about, you know, is public humiliation a fair punishment? Does it meet the crime? Um You heard Joe's comments. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.